of our obligation to lost sinners. We are obliged to lost sinners. But he also shared the fact that we need to not miss divine opportunities to share the good news with lost sinners. Furthermore, he shared how we should also observe lost sinners the same way that Jesus does. Are you meeting your obligation? Are you meeting your obligation to lost sinners? If you think back on your life, has there been a, a whole lot of opportunities you've just blown it? Opportunities you've missed to share the good news with lost people? And as you look on lost people, do you look at them, look at them like Jesus does? Or do you look at them in a fleshly manner? For those who were unable to attend last week, I'd like for you to share uh, your own copy of the 3151 challenge. Tristan and Clay, where's Tristan at? Okay, you got him. Thanks, Levi. All right. Uh, if, you did, if you were not here last week, I want you to have one of these cards. Clay's going to share with uh, people on this side. Levi will get people on this side. If you were not here last week and didn't get a card, just raise your hand so he can drop one off at you. Real quick. All right? The 3151 challenge. The 3151 challenge. And after they hand those out, I'm going to share with you. And by the way, the entire church has decided to be a part of this 3151 challenge. Uh, this will be nothing you need particular skills for. Uh, this will be something that every believer can do, okay? Let me explain to you very quickly what the 3151 challenge is. First of all, the three is you're going to identify three lost people that you know. It may be at work, it may be in your neighborhood. Hey, right over there, Levi. Uh, three people that you know that do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know if they have a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you probably need to be praying for them, amen? They need to be on your list, all right? So the three in the 3151 is three people that you know that are lost, and you're going to write their names on that card. This is not between you and me. This is not between you and your husband. This is not between you and the church. This is between you and God, all right? So you'll write three names of three people you know that don't have a relationship with Christ. Now, the one, the next one is, is you're going to agree that you're going to learn one way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. One gospel presentation. And I'm going to make that really easy for you because over the next several months, I'm going to share a whole bunch of different ways that you can make this very easy for you to share in a conversational atmosphere how you can share the good news of Jesus with somebody who's lost. So that's three, one. Here comes the five, okay? There in the five, you're going to invite five people to church. Of course, in the next year, you're going to write down five people that you want to invite, invite to church. Now, you may have to write these names down and get up a little bit of courage, amen? Get up a little bit of a oomph to be able to go and ask them. But you're going to go ahead and write them down now so that you know that you're going to invite those five people to church. And then lastly... Three, one, five, one. The last one is, in the course of this next year, you're going to share the good news with one person. One person. And you're going to write that person's name down. 
So this is going to have to be a matter of prayer, okay? This is not something we do off the cuff. This is something we pray about and something that we ask God for direction about. And then we fill this card out and we keep it in our Bible. We keep it in our purse. We put it in our wallet. You fold it up, whatever. Carry it with you. Bring it to church all the time so that we can be praying over these, okay? Again, it's not for me to see. This is between you and God. But my prayer is for you, is that the Holy Spirit of God will inspire you to fulfill this 3151 challenge. Just consider if each one of us agreed to pray for three lost people. In a church that averages about 100 people, that's 300 lost people that are being prayed for. That's 100 people that are learning to share the gospel in a real and conversational way. That's 500 people who are being invited to church or to your life group. And finally, that's 100 people who are going to hear the good news through the body of Christ here at Bethel. So I pray that you'll take that challenge and that you'll take this challenge seriously. Uh, we're not talking about anything that's going to have deadlines or anything like that. But between you and God, I pray that you would fulfill the calling that God has placed on your life. So after sharing his heart for lost people, Paul's next section in Romans gives us three messages. Three messages to both believers and unbelievers about God's goodness. And that's what I want to talk about today. Three messages that will inspire you and help you to understand God's goodness. The first message is this. God's message about his selection. We are chosen by the Lord God himself. And the decision of who's chosen for heaven begins and ends with God himself. It's important for us to understand what the Bible says regarding this because we are not saved because of our position. In Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, I want to share with you, I believe it's on page 1006, and the Bible's in front of you, I want to begin to share with you about this fact that we're not saved because of our position. In verse 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all, all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children in the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. Let me give you the short version of what Paul's point is here. Paul's point here is, is just because a person was a descendant of Abraham, just because he was a part of the nation of Israel, did not make that person right with God. It didn't make that person right with God. In other words, it's not about your family. It's not about family. Consider the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Both of them were sons of Abraham. But only one of them was chosen by God to fulfill divine purposes. Jesus and Christianity came through Isaac. And Muhammad and Islam came through who? Ishmael. Isaac was the son of the promise and of heaven. Ishmael became the son of perdition 
and hell. So our position here, our position in our earthly family is meaningless in this idea and this matter of salvation. You can't ride into heaven holding on to daddy's coattails. All right? There has to be a point where you are born again, a place where you have placed your faith in Christ or you will not be saved. So we're not saved because of our position. But furthermore, we're not saved because of our performance. Let me continue to read in verse 11. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil. It's important that we understand this. God selected Isaac over Ishmael before they were even born. God selected Isaac over Ishmael before he was even born. No matter how much good Ishmael might have done, God chose Isaac. In this matter of salvation, it's important that you know this this morning. It's not about what you do. Being saved is not about what you do. All the good you could possibly do would never buy you a place in heaven. We're saved from sin not by position and not by performance, but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. God does it all. Man does nothing. We put our trust in what he has done. So we're not saved by position and we're not saved by performance. Here's what we're saved by. We're saved by God's purpose. Look at the end of verse 11. That the purpose of God according to the election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, talking about, um, talking about Rebecca, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, what you need to understand there is, of course, that getting saved is not about your family. Getting saved is not based on your fruit. Salvation, getting saved, is basically and solely the will of the Father. It's up to God. It's up to Him. Again, God in His perfect wisdom, God in His perfect will, before they were born, He rejected Esau, the firstborn of Isaac, but He chose Jacob, the secondborn of Isaac. Why? Why did He reject the firstborn and choose the secondborn? Well, guess what? I don't know either. So when we get to heaven, we're going to ask God. Amen? Because we don't know exactly why he chose one over the other either. Many are bothered here by the fact that Paul quoted Malachi chapter 1 where God said, Yet Jacob, or Israel, I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, I read that and I said, Now, what in the world does that mean? I've always heard that God is love. Have you ever heard that before? God is love. Does this mean that God really hated Esau? Does God go about hating people? Well, in Genesis, I read in Genesis about the, the narrative about Esau and Jacob. And I don't read anything there about God hating Esau. But here's what I do know. I do know that the, the life that Esau lived and the life that his descendants lived demonstrated a hatred toward the people of God. I know that the life he lived and the life his descendants lived demonstrated a hatred towards God's people, a hatred toward God's law. 
And so we have to understand that God's hatred was not against Esau the person, but upon the nation of Esau. Uh, the nation of Esau. That's who uh, he was hating. Just what they were doing uh, and hating and opposing the people of God. Now you need to listen to this. You look back over human history and we see it all through the history. God's purpose has been proven right. Been proven right by the way that those families live their lives in opposition to God. So that's great for them, but what does this mean for me? Simply this. Just like Isaac, just like Jacob were chosen and Ishmael and Esau were rejected according to God's plan, God's plan for you is that you be chosen. God's purpose for you is that you be chosen. It's what we call divine selection. And you need to know that God has chosen you. Now for a message about God's sovereignty. This matter of salvation is based on nothing but the selection of God. And when you think about that, it bothers a lot of people. Because it seems like that, um, man... That means that God wants some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven. But that's not the case at all. Paul expected that we would have questions. And so listen to what he says about his sovereignty in verse 14. What shall we say then, Paul asks? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. In other words, isn't God kind of unfair? Isn't God kind of unjust? Isn't God kind of unrighteous? in choosing some and rejecting others before they're even born? Well, Paul's answer is a strong answer, and he says, certainly not. Certainly not. And then he goes on to illustrate exactly why he's certainly not. First of all, he says in verse, beginning in verse 15 that God has the right. Look at chapter 9, verse 15. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So that it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God, God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. He gives two Old Testament examples there that tell us this one important truth. Listen, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Say that with me. God knows what he's doing. He is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Whether it be through a lowly man who loved God like Moses or a prideful man who hates God like Pharaoh did, God's purposes are going to be filled. God's purposes are going to come to pass. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Can you see what Paul is trying to help us understand here? It's not about personal position. It's not about personal performance or even about one's personal pursuit of God. It's all about divine choice. God has chosen us. He's chosen us, and it's important to know that if a person wants to be saved, he can be saved. If you're here today and you're lost, you don't have to stay that way. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. But you know what? You'll not be saved until you're first chosen and called by the divine purposes of God. 
Jesus made this clear in John chapter 6. Listen to what he said. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up that last day. For the record, can I say it again? Every person who wants to be saved can be saved. But those who don't want to be saved, they cannot be saved. If there's even an inkling of a desire for somebody to want to come to God, he can. That's called the grace of God. However, if a person is happy in his sins, if she's perfectly content to have no part of God, then God will allow that person to continue that life of sin and continue the way they want to go. Hey, that's fair enough, isn't it? That God would allow you to do what he wants you to do? Or that God will allow you to do what you want to do? Hey, man, it sounds pretty fair to me. So God has the right he is the righteous one. He is the righteous one alone. But God also has his reasons. Let's look in verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you going to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, listen to this, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, that's me and you, prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not only the Jews, but of also the Gentiles. Paul anticipates here another question. And here's the question he anticipates. If salvation is the sole work of God, then why would he condemn some people who are not saved? Why would he do such a thing? Well, Paul says he's the creator and we're the created. Because he's the creator, he can do what he wants. Paul says, uh, just as the potter has power over the clay to make what he wills, the Lord has power over his creation. And who are we to question the authority of God? Who are we to question the right of God to do whatever he wants to do? God does as he pleases. And listen, he don't ask me for his permission. He does what he wants to do, and he does not ask for my opinion. He is God. He is sovereign. He has the right and he has his reasons. So who are we to question Almighty God? Now, again, it may seem here on the surface that God actually creates people just to send them to hell. But that's not the case. Again, God says here in the Word that he endures with much long suffering those who refuse to turn away from their sin. 
He endures with much long suffering those who just have not or will not turn to Christ for salvation. And so if they won't turn from their sin, if they won't turn to Christ, they choose to perish. They choose their eternal destination. But I want you to know today that it's God's desire that every man, that every woman, that every young person, that every child turn from a sinful lifestyle and come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of his reason. I can't speak for you, but boy, he sure has endured with me with much long-suffering. Not only before I came to Christ, but even every day since. He endures with much long-suffering. But not only does God have the right, not only does God have his reasons, but God also has his remnant. Let's take a look there at verse 25. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and call her beloved who was not beloved. And so it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, that they shall be called, listen to this, sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make short work upon the earth. And Isaiah said again before, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, we would become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. You know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Totally and utterly destroyed. So God has his remnants. And what Paul is doing here is he's quoting two Old Testament prophets. One Hosea and the other Isaiah. And he's reminding us that, listen here, y'all, if it weren't for the pure and simple grace of God, they wouldn't nobody be saved. Because we all deserve the same fate as Sodom and Gomorrah. You may not have done the same sins, but you still got sin in your life. And we don't deserve anything but utter destruction. And I praise God. I praise the Lord that he has made a way for us to become his people. Accepting his grace and goodness and trusting in his son's sacrifice. What a blessing. Thank you, God, for making a way. So we've heard God's message about his selection. We've heard God's message about his sovereignty. And now I want you to hear God's message about his salvation. Now, before I mention this first point, I want to read you uh, something that somebody placed on our Covenant Marriage Life Group page. And it's a quote from Francis Chan. Francis Chan is a pastor uh, who wrote the book Multiply, uh, talking about what the work of the church is. And just listen to this. Have you ever wondered if we're missing it? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, creator of nitrogen and pine needles, Creator of galaxies and E minor loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, sing songs, and try not to cuss. 
It's kind of funny, but it's kind of the way it is, isn't it? God's message about his salvation reminds us that God himself, the creator of the universe, has offered human beings the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Look in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness? As he says, exactly what I'm saying. When the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached to non-Jew Gentiles, many were convicted of their sins and they turned to Christ by faith. But Jews, on the other hand, they saw themselves as already righteous. And so they did not repent of their sins and they refused to trust in Jesus. So Paul's reiterating here what he's already said in Romans chapter 4 when he said, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works or thinks that works brings salvation, the wages are not counted as grace but debt. But listen to this. But to him who does not work or believe that works lead to salvation, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. God offers human beings the righteousness of God. And all you have to do is place your incredible trust, all of your trust and faith in the gospel message so God offers us his righteousness, but God also offers us his reason. This is good news because I'm a why kind of guy. Amen? A why kind of guy always says, but why, God? Why? Why? Well, here he gives us the why. Listen to this. Why, verse 32 says? Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. That's why the Jews did not obtain the righteousness of God. Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion the stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Why did Jews and others miss out on the goodness of God? Because they want to try to please God by their own righteous works instead of just simply believing like a child. The Jews failed to see how Jesus, this condemned, crucified man, could possibly be their savior. They saw themselves. They said, man, we're, we're better than that. We're better than Jesus. And so what happened is, is they stumbled over the cross. They stumbled over the cross. Listen, no one will ever be saved until they come to the place where they cling to nothing that they have, nothing they can do, but they simply cast themselves at the feet of the Lord and cry out by faith in the finished work of Christ. That's the only way the Bible says that somebody can be saved. But those that stumble at the cross, they're going to be lost forever. But those who will bow down before the cross, the Bible says they are saved forever. So God gives us his righteousness through faith. He offers us this reason in our questions to why. But finally today, God also offers his reward. Look at the last sentence in verse 33. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Believers that are 
called by God and respond in faith to Jesus Christ, they're promised that they will never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. What does that mean, Bill? That means that you're going to be able to stand before the Lord, before the creator of the universe, and have the absolute confidence that he will not turn you away from heaven. You'll never be ashamed. Y'all, y'all may have a whole lot more questions about God's selection, about God's sovereignty, and about God's salvation. And I wish I had all the answers to give to you today, but I don't. However, I believe the answers, as I've stated them this morning, straight from the Bible. I've come to the place where I can accept that I'm saved not based upon my family, not based because of my fruit, but based only because of the will of the Father. Are you there? I've come to the place where I can accept the fact that God is sovereign and as creator over all, he has the right. And he has the reasons in selecting me as part of his remnant. But I've also come to the place that by the authority of God's word, I am offered his righteousness. And by reason of faith, I can praise him that I'm going to receive his reward. That reward of never being turned away. Listen. Can you? Can you accept that? Can you accept that today? Remember, if you want to be saved, you can be saved. Just the fact that you're here today, let me get my, just the fact that you're here today tells me that God's calling. God's calling. Will you heed the call of God? And trust in the sacrifice of his one and only son. That's the question for you today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord above, we praise you and we thank you for calling us to this place this morning. Lord, we thank you for choosing us Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control of, of everything. You wouldn't be much of a God if you weren't. But we're thankful that you are sovereign. And Lord, we're thankful for your salvation. Because if it weren't for that, Lord, there'd be no hope for us. Thank you for the righteousness that we attain by faith in your Son. And Lord, we look forward to the reward the reward of never being turned away, of the confidence of never being ashamed, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything our family's done, but because of what your son Jesus has done. Father, if there's one here this morning that has not come to the place where they can accept these things on the authority of your word, Lord, let them know that if they want to be saved, they can be. Lord, don't let them leave unsaved. Facing the possibility 
that they'd stand before you and be turned away. Lord, I pray that during this song, Lord, they would have the courage and the faith to step out, to step forward, and just allow me to share with them what the Word of God says about how they too can be saved. Lord, we love you and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you that you know what you're doing. And we give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Friends, would you stand with me?